We'll send. Indeed, we'll send into another episode of the Lotcast. Trey, Alec, and Assad with you this week to talk about uh, stuff with NC State so far that's been going on. Um, let's, let's just yeah. <laughs> let's uh, let's just dive right into the men's basketball. I know we've had uh, a couple of uh, pretty frank discussions uh, about men's basketball. Now let's have a Kevin discussion. See what I did there? Uh, mm. Because. Men's basketball got a win over uh, over Miami on uh, what night was that? Tuesday night, uh, yeah. and gets out of their little losing skid and and stays where they kind of were in the ACC a little bit. But uh, Ray's not going to get any easier for them, that's for sure. So, what are your thoughts Man. on on the win? And that's about it. <laughs> No, it um, it was it's a quality win. It's a Q two win, which is you know it's it, it's good. Yeah. Um, you know you got to protect home court. Uh, you know, but um, I'm not sure how much you can put in to that win because uh, Miami is so injury depleted that they were only down to I think two of their regular starters and. Um, they have guys playing big minutes that were not expected to be playing big minutes uh, this season, or at least at this part of this season. Um, and I, you know, Nigel Pack is a baller, and it, it, they, to their credit, the guy almost single-handedly ripped the game away and and won the game for them. So they they did adjust defensively down the stretch to at least tamp down what he was doing and. Um, you know, people got some free chicken out of it that he missed two clutch free throws uh, right right near the end. So uh, that was very helpful for the pack. But um, yeah, I was a bit confused when they talk about pack Nigel pack, but they're playing the Wolfpack. And but no, it, you know, it's it's a it's a decent win. I but you know, given yeah. the remaining schedule and the up and down nature that, that they continue to show on the offensive end, um, you know, it's, it's going to be tough sliding for them the rest of the way. On one hand, that's a Miami team that went to the final four last year, but on the other hand, like you said, not the Miami team that went to the final four last year. And mm-hmm. I think I said to somebody, you know, these are two, these are two teams that are, that are in free fall a little bit and it's which team ever would, would free fall harder was going to lose the game. <laughs> so, yeah, he said that in the post game. They thought that state played like a team that was desperate, and they needed to. Um, they played with some some desperation there, and I thought they played well in the game. I thought Miami played poorly. Um, they missed like six layups, and they had like eighteen turnovers. Like they they were kind of a mess. Yeah. Um, you know, state had good energy, which is something you like to see coming off of a, a cluster like that Syracuse game. Um, you know, I don't I don't think that there's a whole lot that's going to change. You know some of the flaws of 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 this team, uh, but I did like Michael O'Connell. Um, I think he's done a really good job in certain situations for State. I think he had a good number of assists last night against State. Actually, had seventeen assists on twenty six baskets last night. Hmm. Um, you know they they can run offense most of the time in some <laughs> in some spurts. I mean it's helpful uh, when they get. You know, a hedging defense more is something I wrote about today is the numbers when when they're covered, when their pick and roll is is facing a hedge or some form of aggressive um, ball screen defense. Uh, Their shooting numbers and assist numbers are are just way higher. Uh, And that's what Miami did most of the game. And and State had a lot of success attacking it. They actually shot the ball pretty well in the game. They made a number of threes that you know they, they cracked open the defense a little bit with some swing pat or some um not swing passes that's a football term um skip passes that was where i was looking for um go. yeah so you know o'connell's good, is, is a player that thinks should be on the floor more in those situations if teams are going to continue to cover you that way uh it was really nice to see casey and uh and Jaden taylor knock down some threes they got some open looks uh as a beneficiary of um, O'Connell and, and that and that offense and that, you know it's still a good defensive team. Um, Miami's not very good, I don't think. Uh, I don't mm-hmm. know that State is particularly good either, but you know this is still a team that's going to win some games the rest of the way. But they're going to have to beat some some teams that are going to create mismatches. Uh, and and um, you know we'll see if they can do that. But 
uh, yeah, it's still an uphill climb, but if they had lost that game, it would have probably been curtains. So yeah. uh, mm-hmm. it's nice to just get back in the win column. Well, and it doesn't help, too, that the next team that NC State faces is a Georgia Tech team that is on their way to being North Carolina State champions at this particular rate. Uh, and, and I know we've probably all seen this stat so far, but this is from Jeff Borzello. He says that Georgia Tech coach Damon Stoudemire is just the third first-year ACC head coach in the last 30 seasons to beat both, beat both Duke and UNC. The other two, Sidney Lowe and Kevin Keats. <laughs> so... Uh, that's kind of an odd stat, but um, that's the next opponent for NC State, and they've got a former NC State player on their roster too for Georgia Tech, who actually had the game-winning stop. So, yeah. The one thing that makes me optimistic about the Georgia Tech game, looking at the way that that they've played this year, is that I don't think State is good enough to lose to Georgia Tech. <laughs> if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, but it's a very does Georgia Tech team that beat? Can you see? Yeah, well, that's what I'm saying. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. They're beating good teams and losing to bad teams. So uh, we got this one covered. Um, no, it, it, I mean, a lot of it just depends on, you know, it's, it's the big storyline for me is I keep going back to it is, you know, how are these teams going to gonna cover state? I wrote, I wrote about this on the website today. Like state shooting 38.6% from three against defenses that are hedging ball screens. That's good enough for 17th in the country. If that was their percentage for the whole season, that's excellent to shoot as a team over 38%. Right? Against teams that are playing drop coverage, they're shooting 10.8% from three. It's it's a completely different dynamic. And I'm honestly like shocked that more teams haven't tried to drop cover state. I think the, mm. the film from the weight game where um, DJ Horn absolutely exploded in the mid-range and shredded Wake's defense spooked a lot of people, but... State moves the ball well and is able to get good shots through Michael O'Connell when you get a hedging defense because you have to rotate a lot more and you rotate off of shooters, right, to tag rollers. And O'Connell's really good at finding those guys and mm-hmm. anticipating things and making teams pay for slow rotations. Right? When you get the drop coverage, you don't get any rotations, really. Uh, especially it's even easier when you talk about running those sets with Burns as the as the role man. Uh, it's, it's just... Forced, you know, they get a lot of mid-range shots forced, which is the goal. And you know, State's really been bad with that, except for one game. Um, but they've they've been able to get good shots for for their shooters, and they do have shooters. Um, you know, when teams defend like Miami did last night, so I'll be really I don't know if I watch Georgia Tech. I'll be really fascinated to see what they come out with there, um, and how you know if it is drop, how can State you know score. Because this team does defend, and I don't think it takes more than 70 points to win a game like this. So that, that leads me to an interesting question then, because you mentioned it when State beat Virginia, that you were kind of shocked at what Tony Bennett did defensively in that game. So what in, let's go back to that UVA game for a second, the second one. What did UVA do differently in the second game that didn't work for State? Um, they got... I believe Jordan Minor did not play in the first Virginia game, and it created mm-hmm. some issues with matching up with, with DJ Burns. I'm going to check that because I, I might be mistaken on who that was. But they were they were able to not double Burns. So this has nothing to do with the pick and roll, obviously, but it changed a lot for Virginia because not doubling Burns puts a huge onus on him to score. And he really hasn't been that good this year. Uh, Virginia didn't do anything structurally different guarding the pick and roll against State the second time around, I just thought they were a lot more glued together defensively and State just played poorly. Sometimes you just play poorly. Um, So it it wasn't, from a high-level strategy perspective, it wasn't a hugely different effort. But you're right, that was the only team that really hedged ball screens for State that really locked them down. You know, State's been able to score the basketball against every other team that's done that. So it is... To me, like that, I and mean, that's that's basically what every team has done is one of those two. The only teams that have really mixed it up were Boston College and Syracuse. Kind of mixed up their coverages a little bit, and State shot the ball pretty well against Boston College and not so well against Syracuse. And uh, there's obviously other factors there, but uh, that's a storyline to pay attention to for sure. Yeah, and I think that um, one thing that DJ Horn was doing last night that he ought to have been doing against Virginia. Every time they hedged a screen as he was really sort of trying to generate contact there and then get them into foul trouble and, and go to the free throw line. So 
he got got I think Miami into foul trouble relatively early um, in the second half, and that that really helped, you know, because that's going to be the the story of the game. I think um, you know every night if people are going to be hedging screens like that, you, you want to do what you can to um, generate contact there, and you know if you have to, you have to sell it a little bit, then sell it. But you know I I know that a lot of the UNC fans were, were mad last night about uh, you know them not yeah. getting the benefit of the whistle, which is funny that like I I don't know what the stat is, but they they shot an, an equal number of free throws to Georgia Tech, and I don't know when the last time they shot equal or less free throws against an ACC opponent because that almost never happens for them. But I mean, they were uncharacteristically bad from the free throw line for for them. But uh, you know, I I'm relatively confident playing against Georgia Tech. I don't, I don't think um, it it works out to their benefit that it's a road game. You know, if we were playing in a, in Atlanta, I'd, I'd be able, maybe a little bit more worried. They haven't they have an underrated home crowd, but um, mm-hmm. I think you're right about you. Just generally, state needs to be more aggressive against hedging defenses. Um, mm-hmm. Particularly when O'Connell does not have the ball, O'Connell does a lot, a lot of things well and, and handles that situation well. But I don't know if the other guards have. But one thing I did see Horn do last night is he hit a couple of pocket passes to Middlebrooks, mm-hmm. which that's kind of like the classic old-fashioned way to beat a hedge, right? Is 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 basically you're passing the ball between the two players to a wide open slipping big, and it's something that State has not done a lot this year. Um, we haven't seen any guards really try and split the hedge, which is something you can do if a team leaves you a little too much space there. There's a lot of ways you can you can really make them pay for that, but you have to be aggressive. And I think that's a really good point. Is State really hasn't been aggressive enough offensively because that's just not really mm-hmm. the kind of guards that we have. Uh, so, uh, but they've still managed to score. So we'll see. And I, and I think a, a big change and something that we've talked about before is getting good looks from three is, versus taking a rushed shot makes like all the difference in the world because getting the ball in rhythm to Jaden Taylor versus him trying to take a guy off the dribble and, and hit a three-pointer are two totally different looking jump shots. So when when he got the ball from O'Connell and he was able to step into the shot, it looked like uh, you know like a very confident shot, and you could tell the ball was going to go in as soon as he let it go. So things like that are the benefit of having a guy like O'Connell because he's looking all over the floor for people. I think he, he, has, he earned being in the starting lineup, I hope that continues. It was, you know, an interesting four guard, one big lineup for the for the majority of the game. Um, you know, I, I don't know if they're going to be able to continue that against everyone else down the stretch, but um, you know, I I like I do like that Kevin Keats was at least trying to tinker with the lineups and not just sticking with things uh, because it clearly wasn't working before um and dj burns minutes continue to go down and i think that's that's ultimately for the best probably because diara's impact on the game even if he's not scoring uh it's it continues to make his presence felt whenever he's on the floor all right it's a fascinating discussion of burns versus the other bigs i I don't i don't know that i have a strong opinion either way of the minutes and how they should lay out with those, but it's a very interesting uh, situation basically because you have two guys that move really well, uh, particularly Diara is an elite defender. Um, Middlebrooks can hold his own. They both they both move well. Neither is particularly skilled offensively, but they help you attack defenses in the pick and roll more because of their ability to move. Right when Burns is on the floor, you kind of lose that. He doesn't. He's not particularly great roller. Uh, and and his function is really essentially like playing inside out point guard, right? They feed him the ball in the short corner, and you know if he's doubled, he passes. If he doesn't, he goes and tries to score, and that's fine if he's going to make those shots. But he really hasn't been making those shots. Yeah, he's been uh, in a slump. He really has. Yeah, and so it's kind of that same discussion we had, you know, last year about Terquavion Smith as like a as like an offensive initiator when he was in a big slump is. You know, do you adjust the lineup because of that, or do you let a guy who you know can do those things green light it until he gets his his rhythm back? It's a tougher decision for a coach. I think a lot of people are just like, "Oh, he's missing shots. He ain't come out of the game," but like that's not really how it works. 
you know, you mm-hmm. still need to instill confidence in the players. And, and so it's, it's, it's an interesting, like, I'm not, I don't have like a great opinion. Like I'm not dogmatic about this at all. Like, I don't really know what the answer is on how you distribute yeah. those minutes, but be interested to see what they do. I mean, he, he's still shooting, you know, just over 50% from the field for the season, even, even being down for a few games. So, you know, it just shows how efficient he normally has been uh, from the field. Uh, I think that he just hasn't, been getting uh you know as clean looks as he has been and you know i don't know if there's something uh physical that's maybe happening behind the scenes that that we haven't been known maybe he's trying to play through something he just he just seems like he's a step slower than he has been yeah it, it almost and i wonder if it started before the virginia tech game or, or after but the, the the game where he was vomiting i feel like he hasn't been the same player since then mm-hmm. either yeah that's a good point yeah, Vomiting is no fun. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It, it really deep. seems like, uh, you know, the if teams know that he's the, the lone rim protector, they're doing what they ought to do. And, like, you could see it, like, Nigel Pack, if, if he sees DJs down there, he's he's not settling for the jump shot, and he's going, like, right in to try and initiate contact. And nine times out of ten, Burns is going to foul. Um, you know, he... Even at this stage in his career, you know, he's you know not learned to not foul in those situations or just just do what he can to try and avoid contacts you know you you don't want to give up the shot like he he did last night i don't remember who had it but it was like a um a clear run to the rim and and he got in front of the guy and and just uh fouled him instead of and i think and, and it was an and one so he he gave up the foul with the with the foul shot and um and you know, at least if you're going to hit the guy, make him not make not make the shot as well. He's going to foul him. Foul him hard. Um, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, well, state basketball go to get back in action against Georgia Tech, but the the women's team, boy, do they have a big stretch coming up here? Uh, they've got they've got them on Thursday night, <laughs> then they've got Louisville, and then they've got Virginia Tech, uh, which are right now pretty much the three best teams in the ACC outside of NC State. So this is going to be a, a pivotal week for the for the Pack women, and uh, we've already seen the, the back and forth from Westmore a little bit. This is going to be a big game on Thursday night. This is going to be electric. This is going to be the best NC State basketball atmosphere probably in years because mm-hmm. there was a game a couple of years ago when UNC was just starting to get good and State was, I think, in the top five where it was pretty anticipated. I think this one's on that level. Uh, that was the one where uh, Courtney Banghart was saying dumb crap before the game. That was the first time she did that. Um, but yeah, this is gonna be this is gonna be heated, and um, I'm happy that State is at full strength because they've missed time this year for Sanaya and for River Baldwin, and those are both really, really, really critical pieces. Arguably, the two most critical pieces for this team. Um, the Baldwin injury was scary, uh, so getting her back is a big, big deal. And, and I feel really good about this stretch. Um, you know, you have to go through Liz Kitley, which is never great, but with River in the lineup, that changes things um, from what, what we saw in that first game. Um, I think that they can guard Virginia Tech uh, and pretty much anybody on the perimeter because State's guards are so athletic and so dynamic. Uh, so, I, you know, you're not going to win every game. I wouldn't be surprised if they drop one of these but if they come out of the stretch two and one i think i would be happy with it and i think if they come out of it three and oh they should be ranked number two in the country probably because this is three really or two this three really good basketball teams there i'm just gonna say it is um i hate unc but you know uh, they are good they are good they're a good team so uh, it'll be um it'll be an intense week for sure. Yeah, I think that yeah. those uh, that the the little Jim comment is going to live like in infamy every time she comes to Raleigh, and uh, you know I, I I love to see it. <laughs> yeah, I think it's also an important stretch you mentioned, Alec. Not just you know for the sake of 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 state, you know, trying to get through this and stay at the top of the ACC, but I think and and I don't know nobody really should be paying attention to bracketology because none of it makes any sense or matters at all, but um, you know, those, those the ESPN guys, I should say, but but um, they have state right at the right on the edge of a one seat already, right now, even though they're fifth in the country. Still, I, I'm gonna face that. <laughs> you got NC State flirting with a one seat again, 
So yeah. this is a big week for NC State. They're not only fifth in the country, they're fifth in the ACC right now, which is crazy to think about that the, based on the way the standings are, are, are breaking out. Obviously, uh, all the teams that are kind of jammed up near the top are all going to be playing each other. It'll all shake out like it, like it always does. It's just, it's interesting. But I mean, it's good to know that, you know, they are at least getting credit for uh, being as, as good as they have been, you know, and people are really acknowledging what their potential is now. And, and the key stretch here, yeah, the, these ranked opponents that they have coming up uh, on the schedule, you know, if they can get through, Alec, like you said, you know, they had three ranked opponents in a row. So, um, you know, you'd probably be more worried about Louisville than Carolina, but you never know what's going to happen with Carolina. And always kind of a wild card. Um, you know, if they can get those first two and then, and then, you know, stay strong you know, in the last handful of games, once you mm-hmm. should, you know, if, you know, where you're speaking really highly of your team, if at the worst, they're going to be a two seed in the NCAA tournament. Yeah. Well, and if you think about it too, if, if they did have River Baldwin for that first Virginia Tech game, I think they win that game easily. Oh yeah, they would. They have. really do. They almost won it right as it was. Yeah. And they should have won it. So. You know, that was an illegal screen, but I understand they're never going to call that. <laughs> I can accept that, but it was not a legal screen. But, um, yeah, you know, that's beside the point. But this will be the defining stretch of the season. And I'm just, you know, I think that this is a roster that really is put together very, very well. Um, you know, it, it, it's got kind of everything that you could want, um, you know, with, with your combination of attacking guards and, floor spacing and ability to stretch you know Mimi Collins is shooting what 43% from three um that's pretty impressive you know she's a she's Mm -hmm. pretty much a true big right I mean she's she's basically a stretch four and that's a huge thing to have right because you can run that's thing I like about Westmore is he runs offense on offense on offense they have so much stuff to run Mm -hmm. and they can do that because of the personnel that they have right you can isolate Sanaya Rivers you can isolate Isaiah James you can run your standard pick and roll stuff with Baldwin or Collins and really either James or um, Rivers. And, and that's a really scary set right there. Right? And then you have um, Madison Hayes is a 45% three point shooter, which is, I don't, I haven't looked at any of this data, but that has to be top 10 in the country. Uh, I mean, she's an elite floor spacer. That's a huge mm-hmm. problem for teams. Uh, we saw there's a lot of plays this year where, you know, you, you see, we talked about hedging ball screens, you know, with the men's team. It's really hard to do with the women's basketball team for state because you can't really leave Madison Hayes. You have to come off of the short corner, right, to tag the roller, right? You have to get back there in a hurry. And Sanaya Rivers is a good passer. I don't know if she yeah. was a true point guard uh, when she first came into college. I don't really remember what kind of her role was going into her first year in South Carolina, but she is now. She's a good passer. She sees the floor well. And State's done a really good job attacking basically everything that comes their way, and they have an answer for all of it because there's such a diverse lineup that can win games in so many diverse ways. And I think it's 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 um it's just awesome to watch that offense roll because they do everything, right? They they play through the high post Right, they play through horns all the time. You get a lot of, of standard ball screen stuff. You get a lot of back screen stuff that's you know designed for the bigs. They ran they ran the same play three or four times against Duke, where they just came into horns and ran a double back screen for Baldwin, and she was just wide open under the basket because they just Duke just got lost in rotation. Like the 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 play calling is so deep for Westmore. Like he's he's he is is he is really fun. His teams are really fun to watch. And and I feel bad now, like not being sure what we had going into the season and it, it you know it's a lot of transfers coming in you never, you never know and it's you know uh sort of a mixed bag with people you're not familiar familiar with and um you know don't question what's more basically and it seemed like it was going to be a transition year or a rebuilding year you know they had a lot of highly touted pieces but it wasn't sure i wasn't sure whether it was going to come together uh you know, you know it's obviously come together much better than uh, than I anticipated, much much quicker than I anticipated. It's a f- fantastic contrast. You know, everybody loves to talk about coaching this and coaching that, and certainly Westmore is, I think, an elite, top of the elite women's basketball coach. But 
just from take away the coaching perspective for a second and just look at lineups and how they match up with other teams, it's it's really a very useful comparison to look at the men's guard lineup versus the women's guard lineup mm. and what these teams have. As Isaiah James and Sinai Rivers are excellent athletes, right? They will take anybody off the dribble. They can do that, right? They can break down a defense off the dribble. And Isaiah James, her she's been hot and cold as a shooter, but right now she's on. And when she's on, she's basically unguardable, right? Because it's hard to stay with her, right? But you can't you can't be a step behind, right? You, you can't be a step short. You can't be giving her any amount of cushion right? because she's going to make a three, right? So you can run so many different actions with that that they can attack. There was a play that stood out to me in the Duke game. Um, I, I think it was just a standard, I want to say it was just a standard pick and roll play. And you got... You got a hedge, and you got what's called shake pick and roll, which is um, the the two guard rising back toward the ball uh, as the pick and roll initiates, uh, and that's usually the player where the tagger is rolling off of to to pick up the rolling big. And you know, state, you know, Rivers made a great pass, the right read uh, to James, but Duke pretty much had it covered. Uh, they rotated pretty well, but because James can shoot and attack. One pump fake, you get a really hard closeout. The Duke defender's in the air. She runs right by him, and she scores. If you flip that into a one-tool player, you don't have to worry about that. A hard closeout on a person who can just shoot but can't really attack the rim, right? that that player is going to get shut down by help at the basket. right? If you have someone who can't shoot a soft closeout, that play dies right there. It's versatility in the guards. And that's something state is loaded with on the women's side. And it's just, it's lacking on the men's side. And that's mm-hmm. from a personnel perspective, a huge point I've been making about the men's team that you really notice the difference when you watch the women's team. And I, I'm comparing these two because I don't watch a lot of college basketball. that isn't NC state anymore. So these are like my frames of reference is these two yeah. teams. Um, but it, it, it is, it is uh, worthwhile to just look at the mismatches that state creates on the perimeter with Sanaya Rivers and Isaiah James. Yeah, and it's it's one of those things where it really seems like Westmore was trying to stay ahead of the game with evolving his offense year over year. And if you look at the way the offense played two to three years ago, this is a lot more fast pace, a lot more there's a, a lot more high intensity, uh, I think, in terms of the number of options that they have, a less traditional sets running everything through the big like you did um before and you know putting everything in the hands you know of your playmaking guards is is the way to go and it, and it provides the offense so many more options and and not only that they're a phenomenal free throw shooting team they have seven people on the team that are shooting 72 percent or higher from the free throw line and so it's you know it's amazing yeah, it's, it's, it's a versatility thing that really allows him to, to redesign the offense as needed, you know, based on the opponent. So we've seen them play through River, um, you know, when they have a big size advantage. I think Florida State was an example of that. The game she got hurt in, she was like 10 for 12 from the field before she got hurt, and they were just beating her in the post. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they can win games other ways, too. And what, what's impressive is how well they execute their incredible depth of sets that they run. Um, mm-hmm. I don't, you don't, you don't always see that with teams. So, uh, yeah, I mean, it's, there's definitely a lot of versatility with the lineup. Uh, and yeah, when, when a Kunane was on the floor, you know, they played through the post a lot more. They, they right. still do, but I think you really have, you know, elite creation guards now. And that's just like candy for a coach. Like it's, it's awesome. You know, you can do so much with that. It's so fun to watch, mm-hmm. um, when you have truly dynamic ball handlers on a, on a team and you're not living and dying on one individual person game to game you know there's there's um obviously you've got tonight Rivers and Josiah James but they aren't the ones that you know they're they're not the equivalent of somebody like Torquavion Smith where like you you need all of the points that he was going to give you in order to have a chance to win that game they got five players that average double figures right yeah it's pretty good you guys remember <laughs> the, 
Is that good? The TJ Warren, the TJ Warren basketball teams, where we averaged seventy-one points per game as a team, and he averaged seventy-three points per game. <laughs> yeah, I, mean, I don't, I, I don't miss yeah. that style of that. Yeah, and and two different shooters shooting forty-three percent or higher, you know, from the three-point line, you know, that's. The, the metrics are all in their favor. Um, it's you know this this is how you construct a, a a modern, offensively focused basketball team that is also really good defensively. So if they get a number one seed, it'll be well earned. Yeah, and I think it begs an I think it begs an interesting question because I was talking to somebody about the the men's side and how I I really felt like compared to years past, there really are three or four runaway teams on the men's side that, that could end up being in the Final Four. UConn, Houston, Kentucky, not going to name the fourth one, you know who I'm talking about, but UConn, Houston, Kentucky, um, that are, that are kind of runaway, you know, these are Final Four contending teams. I don't feel that way on the, on the women's side. I feel like NC State is in a position where they can make it to the Final Four this year because outside of South Carolina – it seems like there's six or seven teams that can get to the final four, eight or nine even. I love how UNC on this podcast is like Voldemort from Harry Potter. <laughs> he must not be they named. who shall not be named. <laughs> yeah. 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 Yeah, no, I think um, there's a scene. I, I haven't seen Harry Potter in years, but there's a scene <laughs> where I think Dumbledore says it's it's okay to say his name and not saying his name gives him just gives him strength through fear. Like I think, yeah. I think we can do that. Like let's not let's not make them worse than they are. Like like you know, they are they are the University of North Carolina, and uh, they are who they are. And there's a lot of growing parity in women's basketball, and I think that's a sign of the development of the sport. Women's basketball as a whole is, is not that old of, yeah. of a sport, and. You know, UConn won like a hundred billion games in a row. Like it was almost comical. Like the growing parity is a sign of, you know, more programs investing in it, more programs mm-hmm. having more resources, um, more resources trickling down throughout the entire um, ecosystem of women's basketball, producing you know more yeah. and more good players, and it's it's, it's awesome. You know, State, um, you know, is not a team that was good during the time where a team could roll to 40-0 in every game by 60 points. And it's gotten more and more and more competitive in the ACC. But that's not because State has, like, slipped back or anything. It's because a lot of these other teams are getting better and better. And the ACC yeah. is a very strong conference in women's basketball. Yeah, and I know, yeah. and I know we see it, too, um, you know, with the addition of Stanford, Cal, and SMU coming to the ACC. Think about women's basketball. Stanford has the all-time winningest women's basketball coach, winningest basketball coach, period. So the ACC is going to get even better with women's basketball when they add Stanford next year. Yeah, they should they yeah. should uh, you know include that in the in the TV deal because <laughs> you know the yeah. the, the increased ma- um, matchups we're going to get you know are going to be really really fun to watch. I mean, I mean even you know, you've got South Carolina and Stanford that are your kind of your in uh, your typical people you're going to see in the top five, and um, you know I you know. Um, What's the 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 main shooter on Iowa? Um, Caitlin Clark. Caitlin Clark. Thank you. I was just watching some of her videos this morning. I should have remembered. Uh, she's one of those shooters that makes me jealous. I wish I had her jump shot. Um, like you know, if they're if you're gonna pick one team that might make a make a deep run, that like that's that's one of the ones. But I'm not sure whether Iowa has the staying power after she leaves. Um, she's definitely gonna go pro after this year. So I think um, you know, there's there's a number of new faces in the top 10 that kind of haven't been there with UConn slipping down. I know uh, Paige Beckers has been hurt. So they've, they've kind of slipped a bit um, since, you know, kind of NC state kind of broke them a little bit early on in the season. I mean, they're, they're still kind of hovering around um, their 11th now, but it's, it's good for the sport that somebody like Louisville that was there, um, you know, consistently for the last few years has dropped down. Yeah. Um, but still, the ACC has what four ranked teams. So you know, it, yep. um, if you include Stanford next year, that's that's five. You know, it's that's you know, it's it's the future is still looking really really bright for women's basketball in the ACC. And I think in addition to that, you, you're mentioning you know a team that's that's been rising through the rankings of of women's basketball. Just look at Virginia Tech. 
Yeah. Yes. Right. Virginia Tech was was not a program that people considered a contender in women's basketball, and and they just won the ACC last year. So there's that there's that parody in that one side and on the men's side. <laughs> they won both the year before last, didn't they? I th- oh, I've, I've barely been paying attention these last couple of years to men's <laughs> basketball. It was it was two years ago, yeah, 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 did. yeah. We, you know, the, it it kind of shows uh, how much you know we haven't seen success under Kevin Keats. That in the time that he's been here, Georgia Tech with Josh Fassner and Virginia Tech have have with a relatively new coach have won the ACC championship. By yeah, the way, shout out Fassner. to ACC for sticking with the tradition on the women's side and keeping that tournament in Greensboro. That's where it should be every year on the men's yeah. side, too. I love the uh, the Josh Passner ACC title. It's one of my favorite ACC titles ever because they literally didn't play a semifinal game. Yeah. They literally didn't even play the game. So it was like and, – and Florida State that year, who they beat in the in, – this is a tangent, but – you know that that team was so so overrated, uh, and you know I think Virginia would have cracked Georgia Tech that year. It's it's but the Virginia Tech one is is an interesting one for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, goes to show like you know, anything can happen. You know, you just it's a high variability sport. Well, and speaking of anything can happen, uh, NC State's football schedule came out a couple weeks ago, and we haven't had the chance to talk about that yet. But uh, let's just say it's front heavy. See <laughs> State's football schedule in in 2024. Uh, the Wolfpack will open up on a Thursday, August 29th. I'm actually going to pull it up here so I don't say anything wrong. But uh, they will open it up on a Thursday, August 29th, against Western Carolina, which I am glad that that game is first and not the one that follows because, yeah. <laughs> but uh, let me see here. Pulling it up, NC State football schedule. All right, so Western Carolina on August 29th. Then September 7th, they play in the Dukes-Mayo Classic against Tennessee. Then Louisiana Tech. And then they go to Clemson. So that's the front-heavy portion we were talking about. And then, you know, I I have to say, in my opinion, after that, the hardest games that are left are October 12th against Syracuse, November 9th against Duke, and then November 21st at Georgia Tech. So, um Kind of go through your thoughts on on the football schedule a little bit, and it's very weird to see Stanford and Cal on there as a conference game. But uh, just kind of go through your thoughts on that a little bit. I'm glad that they have a hard game before Clemson, which is yeah. essentially an exhibition game. Especially, you know, if if you want to buy buy into the hype and say the state has a chance to be in the 12 team playoff, you know, that's a game that if you lose is not the end of the world. If you believe that this is a team that has that potential and, you know, it's, it's something that I think benefited them the last two times they played a really big game against Clemson, you know, in 2021, they no showed at Mississippi state. Um, But I think they got better from that. Right. And they went through a lot of adversity in that Clemson game and they, they found a way to win. And then, you know, they, they had a decent Texas tech team. They went on the road in a, uh, marginally difficult environment against ECU and and, and played horribly, um, but those are things I think that you learn from. And and they went down to Clemson that year. They didn't win, but they played well and they showed up to the game. They didn't they didn't fart the game away. Um, so you know I think I think it's good to have a really difficult game because because then you know the build up becomes something that's already happened, right? When you get to that second Clemson game, right? The build up to the big game, right? That's already happened. Now. You've already done that with Tennessee, so I think it becomes more routine. Right, you lose a little bit of the uh, the the um, deer in the headlights anxiety type stuff that can happen sometimes with those types of games, and the Clemson game matters a heck of a lot more than the Tennessee game. And then after that, you know, there's a lot. There's not like it's not loaded with terrible teams, but it's also most certainly not loaded with great teams. Um, yeah. So there's you know that Clemson game is a huge deal because there's a lot for the taking. Yeah, and I I can't see. You know, obviously it's January, and you know we a lot of things can change as as the season goes on. But outside of Tennessee and Clemson, there's not a team that jumps out where State is not going to be favored in those games at least. Um, so it 
really shows that they saw what the schedule was going to be and made the push that they did with the lineups to make sure that they could go as much as all in as they could. Um, but I think it, it really goes to show uh, how adding in these new teams has watered down the overall strength of schedule across the board in the ACC. Because I think that's going to be, in my prediction, is going that's going to be the, the major talking point uh, nationally when people talk about the ACC is going to be the overall weakness of the schedule compared to other conference. And, you know, it's like a snake eating its tail kind of thing that, you know, the SEC says they're filled with the great teams because they're all playing each other. And, and you know, there's still a good football to be had in the ACC. But um, I think that mm-hmm. spreading out the really good teams amongst an, an even broader set of total teams, it um, it really limits the opportunities to have really high quality wins. So, you know, it's good that state is going to continue. I think in this model, a lot of people were hoping to avoid Clemson, but I think it's probably good in this model. They're going to continue to play Clemson every year. So they could at least hang, hang their hat on having the opportunity to play uh, one. Cause there's, you know, I was, I was reading an article that was talking about the, overall week of schedules of the top 10 and half the list was ACC teams, including USC yeah. and NC State. So, you know, it's mm-hmm. like, you know, it's something that, that a lot of people are going to be talking about a lot. And um, all you can do is win, you win the games in front of you. And that's the argument that Clemson has used in the past when, when they've made an argument for themselves to make the playoff. And obviously we're, we're talking about the playoff when we, you know, the number one focus should at least be just let's just try and get to the ACC championship game. But, you know, in, in the expanded playoff strength of schedule and strength of record is going to be some of the biggest metrics that people are going to be looking at. Um, but, you know, if you can get, you know, I'm, I'm, you know, assuming Western Carolina, Louisiana tech and Northern Illinois are, are, are likely wins. And if you can get one out of the, two between Tennessee and Clemson, then, you know, then you got the, the back half of the schedule looking pretty schedule, looking pretty uh, uh, optimistic for you. And you got Wake Forest at home. You don't, don't have to go to Winston-Salem next year. Yeah. So. And I think one of the big things, too, that's very helpful is if you look at the last two weeks of the year, that Georgia Tech game, which Georgia Tech is a team people are high on right now for next year, them and Virginia Tech. Uh, if you look at that Georgia Tech game on a Thursday, so we get an extra day to prepare for the trip to Chapel Hill the next week. Uh, and North Carolina has to go to Boston College on that Saturday. So we'll get a little extra time for that game. Yeah. And um, what was yeah, that? The last... Go ahead, Alex. Oh, I said the Georgia Tech game scares me a little bit, though. Yeah, yeah. that game does. It's yeah, Them and Virginia Tech are, are two teams that people are really high on for next year. And, and that kind of goes into my next point is it kind of feels like for the first time in a long time, there isn't really a clear cut favorite in the ACC. I know Florida state's going to be good. I know Clemson's going to be good. People are going to talk about Miami and, and we're going to get some talk a little bit too. Uh, and obviously Syracuse has done well on the portal a little bit, but I, I you know, it kind of feels like there really isn't a clear cut favorite. Do you guys feel the same way? No. And Florida state's schedule is not that favorable. I mean, they, they also have to play Georgia Tech and that are... If, In a foreign uh, country. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and they have to go to SMU. They're also they're playing Clemson and Duke and Miami and Carolina in back-to-back-to-back weeks um, and then followed by Notre Dame. Um, so, you know, it's it's um, not, not going to be the, the easiest stretch for them. And uh, I think... You know, of of the draws that state could hope for, it's it's one of the best, especially since in the last six weeks of the season, there's two open dates. So if they're dealing with uh, injuries down the stretch, which you know, knock on wood, they don't, but um, they had really good injury luck this year, and I'm and I'm worried that you know that as the pendulum swings, it might come back uh, in the opposite yeah. direction. That that really gives a good opportunity to to rest up down the stretch. Yeah, and I was trying to figure out why. SMU had three open weeks, and, and I found out that they are still trying to schedule their their final non-conference game. But uh, for people that are curious why NC State has two bye weeks this year instead of one, it's just it's just the way the calendar worked out. 
because the Labor Day weekend is, is earlier. Thanksgiving is later. So they get an extra bye week in there. And I think that's going to be the case in 25 as well and maybe 26, I think. I know 25 for sure will be that way. It's weird. I mean, it but, seems like uh, almost every – because I'm looking at the, the overall schedule. It seems like pretty much every ACC team gets two open dates uh, across every the board. Every team in the country should have bye weeks. Every team but in the country should have. Georgia Tech has three. <laughs> and they have one right they before. Week zero. Yeah. Because they play in week zero. Yeah. Yeah, Florida State has three but, as well. Yep. <laughs> yeah, and SMU has three because they only have three non-conference opponents. And they're working on which... Why are you going to release the schedule if you're not done, if it's not done yet? Yeah, <laughs> it's going to be so <laughs> weird to see uh, SMU at Stanford on the ACC network. That's going to be <laughs> classic ACC rivalry. <laughs> at like 11.30 at night, too. <laughs> You know, I feel like, those, like the ACC team, which I think they're going to have a new color guy, I think, because Tim Hasselbeck took a coaching job. But, you know, Wes Durham and whoever's with him going to going to Stanford to call a game instead of just driving up the road to Georgia Tech. <laughs> I'm ready for SMU to sneak up on a lot of people next year. You they're know, be uh, a very surprising team. So mm-hmm. they, they have – their oil barons uh, for, the, for their alumni have been very – vocal about how they are going to fund the difference because they're choosing to not take the full revenue share uh just to get into the the their foot in the door in the conference because you know they feel like this is their opportunity to get back in uh, on the major sports stage Mm -hmm. and they have basically vowed that whatever the shortfall is in the funding gap they are going to personally uh fill in that fill in that hole so you know it's going to be and they're going to be competing for top nil dollars and especially within texas you know probably poaching from some of their in-state rivals um it, you know it's, yeah. it's gonna be interesting to see i'm glad the state isn't playing them <laughs> this year honestly yeah. well and i think it's telling too because they won the american they beat tulane they have a highly touted quarterback who has had every chance to enter the transfer portal and go somewhere quote unquote better and hasn't he's stuck around and you know I think they play two Big 12 teams also in their non-conference schedule. They play BYU and SMU, and those will be telling games to see just how good they act. I mean, TCU, sorry. BYU and TCU. I was thinking of TCU. Yeah, another spring game. BYU and TCU. So that'll be, that'll be telling to see, see how, good, uh, how good SMU will be when they, when they play those two. Obviously, those aren't going to be Big 12 championship teams by any stretch. but That's, that's uh, an underrated so, in-state Texas library, SMU-TCU. And it's going away, and I hate that. Yeah. It's going away after 25, and I hate that. Mm-hmm. But also, correct me if I'm wrong, I thought they changed our designated opponents from Duke-UNC-Clemson to Duke-UNC-Wake. That's Am I true. wrong on that? That's true. No, you're right. Thank you for that correction. Yeah, the, the, I okay. should remember that. Yeah, we won't the, play Clemson. Year. All the in-state teams are mostly playing each other, with the exception of Carolina is going to play Virginia every year. They have a long-standing rivalry with them. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so yeah, that's that's better for state in the long run, I guess, um, with ease ease of racking up wins, but maybe not the likelihood of quality wins. You know, we'll see what happens yeah. with Manny Diaz uh, coming into two. <laughs> and I know that people will look at that schedule and say that it's not a great home schedule but at the same time i think you know it's a good opportunity for you to see them win yeah i think most importantly i mean you, you, yeah you you play a de facto home game in charlotte against tennessee you have louisiana tech at home niu at home western carolina at home i think you know barring something unbelievably unforeseen it's 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 early of course but those are likely to be Games where they'll be favored pretty heavily. Uh, Wake Forest, I don't know how good Wake's going to be this year. Syracuse will be a tough home game. Duke will be a tough home game. Stanford, they're making the trip all the way across the country. I don't know how tough that game will be, but but we'll see. So while well, you, you get to see Wakes and you get to see the Dukes, you get to see some new teams also. I don't think NIU's ever played NC State. I don't think Stanford's mm-hmm. ever played NC State, So uh, at least hasn't in a long time. So it's... It's gonna be it's gonna be some new opponents, but I want to. Reason why I bring that up is because 2025's 
non-conference schedule and 2026's non-conference schedule. Uh, 2025, uh, if you if you like playing NC teams, <laughs> not news for you. <laughs> they play ECU, App State, and Campbell, and they play UNC, Duke, and Wake, and wow. Notre Dame is another non-conference game. <laughs> I hate that. Yeah, 2025 is going to be stressful. <laughs> I don't know if I'll be alive. <laughs> yeah, we got to go to app number one. Oh, oh, that's right. That's right. Yeah. Nothing yeah. to gain and everything to lose. Yep. Yeah. And then that's they go to Notre Dame. That's what Mac Brown said. He, he was like, "Why, why are yep. we playing them?" <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, and UNC is doing a home and home with with Charlotte with 49ers that starts oh. next year. Yeah, so, I mean, yeah, I think they got a good coach. I think they really have a coach, coach. going to right. turn them around. I think they've done really well in the portal too. So that's a team to watch. I, but, but I, I, you know, looking at the the early part of the schedule, that Tennessee game is really interesting because I know they they have been very heavy in the transfer portal. Um, so their mm-hmm. offense is looking to uh, reload, and it seems yeah. like that's not going to be. Uh, you know, yeah. that obviously it was, we knew it was going to be a hard um, matchup, even with the roster <laughs> they had last year, but I think they're going to be an even tougher matchup. And I, I think it'll be a good early season test, like you were saying, Alec. The one mm-hmm. thing that I like is that State gets 10 days to prepare for it because they, they have that Thursday night matchup and then a full week uh, with, with the weekend to get ready. Well, Tennessee also, I think, is going to play on a Thursday that week too, I think. Let me double check that. I know they were they they've done it before, where they've played their FCS team on a Thursday night to start the year. And no, they scheduled to play on Saturday. My apologies. So they they won't have the full. They will they won't have an extra day or two to prepare. So, but yeah, overall, I it's, think, you know, it's like th- this is the time. You know, it's, yeah, this is the year. If you know it's got to be, it you got to push the chips into the table. You know, if if you can't take advantage of this schedule and at least make it to Charlotte, then I I don't know. Um, mm-hmm. if, if the stars are going to align for you uh, as well as they will this year. Yeah, well, I feel bad for the uh, Bank of America Stadium scorekeeper. He's gonna be, he's gonna have some hurt hands after that Tennessee. <laughs> I think it's uh I think State's a lock to play in Charlotte this year. In week two, let's let's save that clip. <laughs> I, you know, I, I agree with Assad though. I think that this is this is a big opportunity with the schedule that we have for NC State. We don't play Florida State. We don't play Louisville. We don't play Miami. I don't think well, only one of those three. I think is making it to Charlotte anyway. So uh, you know, big opportunity. You know, at worst, seven and one in the ACC probably gets you there. At worst, I would mm-hmm. feel like. Yeah, yeah, you definitely don't have to run the table. Um, yeah, you know, I think that there's enough opportunity for the other teams to trip up at, at least once, maybe twice. So you know, I you can go ten and two and and make it there. I I don't. There's no juggernaut like Florida State is not going to be the same as they were this year. They're not going to mm-hmm. just like steamroll through everyone and and make it all the way there undefeated. So, you know, there's there's room for error within the schedule and you can even you don't even have to go 10 and 2. You just need to drop no more than two games in the conference. So you can lose to Tennessee and and ultimately like that's that that game doesn't hurt you in in the long run. You know, would it be great to win that and then compete to get into the playoff? Yeah, yeah, that that'd be great. But yeah. you know, I'm I'm not as concerned about that as I am about getting an ACC title. Yeah, and I know that Georgia Tech is is probably the trickiest road game we have, just because you know, pretty good chance. Well, fingers crossed, we're in a situation where we absolutely have to win that game to go to Charlotte to punch our ticket or whatever. But the game that I want to circle that I think is the one that is the most worrisome for me is the game on October 19th at Cal. Because it will be the last time State went out to play out West, they ended up not playing. So, um, you know, they haven't been out West a lot other than for bowl games. That's going to be an interesting one to see what the team's mojo is like for that one. 
Yeah, I wonder how far in advance of the game they're going to get to travel. Because, like, I, I went East Coast to West Coast this summer, and it took me, like, a solid, like, day and a half to recover just from the flight. So, um, I mean, I've, it's yeah. worse going West to East, but, you know, so all, those West Coast teams coming out here to the to the East Coast, it's going to be tough for them. But, uh, you know, ho- hopefully they can get out there at least more than 48 hours at a time. I don't, I don't know if anybody yeah. will be there, though. Cal is... Uh, <laughs> yeah... yeah. Yeah, Cal certainly is good at the uh, the non revenues, but when it comes to the to the big revenue sports, they have uh, they've not been what they should be for school of their stature. So, uh, but but I, I just worry about that game because because obviously, like I said, going out there, you've got your bye week after it, and you will have just played six games in a row, I believe, to start the season mm-hmm. with. Four of them at home, so you haven't traveled a whole lot. And the ones that you have traveled, you've either been on a bus, or yeah, you're basically taking a bus to the two games, Tennessee and Clemson. So you haven't that's, been on a long trip. Eight. That's that's week yeah. eight actually. Oh, eight so games, it's yes, yeah, so, in a row. Yeah, so eight games in a row: Raleigh, Charlotte, Raleigh, Clemson, Raleigh, 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 Berkeley. So yeah, <laughs> that would be their first long trip. So I think that's that's concerning for sure. So, so what is it about Syracuse you think is a tough matchup? I, I, you know, what, what do they have going on? They're in the portal, and I, I, I'm still confused as to why Cal McCord went there unless he wants to be a broadcaster because they're the number one broadcasting school in the country. But <laughs> I, I'm still kind of confused by that, but they look really sneaky, and I know that there's been people in college football media that have been high on Virginia Tech and Georgia Tech too, like I said, and obviously we don't play Virginia Tech, but – it just feels like a game where if State doesn't bring their A game, Syracuse is going to hang around. I'm I'm still laughing at Philip Danford calling him Honda McCord. Um, I I will never look at him the same way again. <laughs> yeah, Honda McCord. Yeah, that was a good one. Yeah. Well, I think we 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 should get to our our question of the day today, uh, and it's not as as oh actually one more thing I do want to mention one more thing for for Alec here. Uh, NC State does not have to play Sam Hartman anymore. Hey, that's a well, shame. We can still talk about him. That's a shame. <laughs> that we're facing such an upgrade at quarterback from opponents this year. Like yeah. I said, Question of the day today is a little bit more simpler. I don't think we'll get into a big debate over, over this one like we have with the Pop-Tarts. But uh, question of the day today is what is your least favorite chore? I guess we just couldn't think of questions this week, so that's the one we picked. <laughs> uh, for me, you know, it honestly hasn't been as big of an issue the last couple of years since it hasn't snowed as much uh, up here in New Jersey as it has mm-hmm. um, when I first moved up here over a decade ago, but I, I cannot stand shoveling snow. It's, it's just one of the most menial tasks and... Um, I've gotten big snowstorms and I'm too stubborn to buy a snowblower and I'll, I want to shovel it myself. And um, even though my better half is convinced that I'm just, you know, doing it just to put my foot in the ground, um, you know, just to show how tough I am. But, um, you know, taking <laughs> taking like half a day to shovel two and a half feet of snow is, is, is no fun. And you're just like out there and you're hot and sweaty and cold at the same time. And it's just right. like, one of those things where it just feels like it never ends sometimes. You know what you use to shovel snow with in central North Carolina? Windshield diapers. <laughs> I was going to say maybe a leaf blower. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, if I can go next, kind of, kind of piggyback off of that, uh, I do want to preface this with it is currently – as we're recording this, January 31st, I'm in the Twin Cities of Minnesota somewhere. I'm not going to say specifically where, but I'm in the, the Twin Cities. And it was 58 degrees today. Nice. <laughs> in, Min- in Minnesota, it was 58 wow. degrees the high. So that was an all-time record. It's never been set before. So there's no snow on the ground, which kind of negates my least favorite chore. But mine is getting the snow off of your car. Oh, that yeah. one is is really not fun, especially when you have to be in a hurry and you have to get to work. And 
you know, and then, and then you, you get the snow off, but then you can't get the ice off. And it's like, yeah. <laughs> come on. So, but I haven't had to be ready that this winter, so that's been fun. I'm okay with that. <laughs> and you people in your snow. I don't think I've seen snow that needed to be shoveled in maybe since I was two. Yeah, Blizzard of 2000. Yeah, I think yeah. I think Raleigh has like one snowplow, and I think it. I don't think it's had gas in it for like five years. They probably yeah. like forgot it's in there. They're gonna open the 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 garage one day, and they're like, "What in the world is that thing?" Um, mine is cleaning the sink. This is oh. a sneaky, disgusting chore. Like yeah. this is one. Like everyone thinks the nastiest thing you could clean is the bathroom. It's not. It's the sink. The sink mm-hmm. is disgusting. Um, I, I don't like touching wet food. That's really disgusting to me. Oh. Um, so anytime that's going on, uh, that's, that is a really... Uh, that and, and cleaning the shower drain is extraordinarily disgusting. Yeah. Um, yeah. Anytime you have to like touch something that's mushy that's not supposed to be mushy... Mm-hmm. Uh, is like kind of top my list. That is like a, I have like a visceral reaction to that. Like it's just gross. Um, yeah. So, yeah. Probably that one for me. I also hated more than anything. Um, something I had to do a bunch when I was like in grade school was picking up twigs and sticks out of the garden. That was like my parents' favorite thing to like make me do, and it was awful. I hated it. Okay. Well, there's so many sticks. Like how you can always find more sticks. Like, yeah. You're not just yeah. like. <laughs> always gonna be more. I mean, they're little twigs in the dirt. Like there were so many of them. It was. Uh, they were just trying to keep you busy. Yeah. Well, Alec mentioned how they only have one snowplow in North Carolina. Uh, there's a fun annual tradition up here where they they do a snowplow naming contest for for the new snowplows they get every year. And this year's <laughs> winner was Taylor Drift. Oh, that's good. That's, I like that's that one. Taylor good. Drift. Clark Blizzwald, Beyonce, Dolly Plowton, you're killing me, Squalls. Those are the other winners, along with uh, yeah, Trey Plower. Trey Plower. <laughs> I don't know about that. Right, right off the top, I like that. <laughs> oh, <man. laughs> you know, uh, well, this NS people... quickly, didn't they? <laughs> I, I I will say I have been uh try to try try to be de, you know a defender of North Carolina. A lot of people try to make fun of how people in the South can't yeah. handle snow. And anytime people up north try to say that, I'll say, okay, you try and go live in North Carolina in July and August when it's like ninety nine degrees, ninety nine percent humidity, and and you will melt yep. immediately. So I remember one year, one year we had a family beach trip to the Outer Banks, and it was like ninety five <laughs> degrees with like a hundred percent humidity. <laughs> It was brutal. I don't remember what year it was, but it was it was brutal. Yeah, the um, you can't the you can't have your uh cars air conditioning go out in North Carolina like you can up north. And uh, yeah, that happened to me one summer, and I I uh, tried not to fix it, and I ended up doing a five hour drive in July without air conditioning, uh, and uh, that was kind of like the worst decision I ever made. So yeah. you get some pluses and some minuses with the weather. I will say I don't think people in the north are as good at driving in the snow as they think they are, uh, because yeah. the streets are usually plowed all the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, you don't really, so yeah, that's kind of my take on that. But anyway, yeah, uh, yeah they don't have to get as much experience driving actually in the conditions they think they are, just because the snow is on the side of the road. It's not actually on the road itself. Right. We're really good at driving in salt. <laughs> it's really funny to hear them say in North Carolina, it's like, you know, when we get an inch of snow and they're like, stay off the roads. And then here where I'm at in, in Minnesota, an inch of snow is just your average Tuesday in the wintertime. So it's a panic attack in North Carolina. If there's even the thought of snow one time in high school, they canceled snow, canceled snow, canceled school because of snow <laughs> and it didn't snow. It literally yeah. never snowed yeah. at all. There wasn't a well, single flake. There's one year, one year when you were in fourth grade, and I'm sure there are a lot of people who might remember this one. When uh, Alec was in third grade, I was in fourth grade, and it, there, there was not snow in the forecast that day, and we got hit with a big phantom snowstorm, 
and the school buses couldn't get to the schools to pick up the kids. And so there were people that ended up spending the night at school. And wow. that one was a big, that one was a big disaster. I remember that yeah, one. I'm sure a lot of people remember that one. Big ice storm was that two thousand and was it two thousand two, two thousand three, two thousand and two or two thousand and three or four? Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. There was like twenty four inches of snow in North Carolina, which I think is. Oh, well, I was thinking of two thousand. Yeah. 2000, yeah. 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 Was it the two thousand? Yeah. That one. I don't think we'll ever have that again. <laughs> do you guys remember? Do you guys remember that time that Omeka Mezzi caught two touchdowns in twenty six seconds? Yeah, beat UNC after trailing yeah. by nine with less than two minutes to go. I remember that. Yeah. I was hoping yeah. that the two Lions would do that on Sunday, but but they needed a Mecca Mezzi and they didn't have him. So yeah, yeah, you need a Mecca Mezzi to do that. It's it's something a lot of teams overlook because you can't right. do that without him. Yes, almost forgot before we go. Alec has been uh, working on something for Trinity Road Times. We have something new we want to share with you. Uh, so so go right ahead, Alec. Uh, yes, more street-themed things that you can use. We now have the Trinity Lot on the website, which is a forum for talking about all things NC State-related. Um, there are currently just just launched tonight. We currently have two test posts. One of them is, of course, about Mecca Mezzi. Uh, but you should jump on there, check it out. We got lots of space um, for lots of different discussions. We have a general board. Uh, we have a football-specific board called Football. And we have a basketball-specific board that's called Kevin and Wes's Fun Adventures. And, um, <laughs> this is, uh, yeah, we hope to make this a, a, a community where, uh, you know, people can can talk about NC State without, you know, being flooded by all the other crap that you run into on Twitter and any other weird stuff that is happening at the places that you are currently at, whatever that may be. I'm really rambling right now. But anyway, you should really go to that thing and put some stuff in there. Yeah, and, and, and I want it to be known that I I vouched for it to be called the TX lot. Long live the TX lot off of Trinity Road. No longer exists. It's it's where the apartments are now. But uh, should have gone with that name. But you know, Alex in charge, so he's the one that decided. So, <laughs> and good vibes are preferred. Trying to you know, be good to make make this you know a, a more positive space than most of the other corners of the internet. Oh, yeah, don't don't be insane. That's like the only rule for the board. Is just don't be insane. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. And I'm excited about that. And we're excited to uh, have hopefully a very positive week of women's basketball to talk about next week on the Lockcast. I know Pac 9 is, is starting up soon as well. So there's a lot of excitement in the air for, for that and what Elliot Avent and his squad might have in store this year. So, and we'll, of course, talk about men's basketball and, and anything else going on uh, in the world of, of NC State athletics as well. But that's going to wrap up this edition of the Lockcast. Uh, thanks for listening. Go join the forum and go pack. Pack.